the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And he's here to say good afternoon. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Lifeline. And hang on to your hats, folks. We're in for a bumpy ride. Welcome again to today's edition of Lifeline. Much to talk about. And, of course, we lead with a story that seemingly everybody, not only in the U.S., but across the globe is talking about, and that is the coronavirus. And, well, as we pointed out, Wall Street certainly does not like uncertainty. There's been plenty of it, and Wall Street has reacted. The Dow Jones Industrial Average ending the day down nearly 1,200 points, making it the biggest single-day point drop in history. This is the sixth straight day of losses on Wall Street, and this will likely perhaps be the worst since the Great Recession began clear back in 2007-2008. Investors continue to be worried about the coronavirus outbreak and the impact that it will have on the global economy. And we've been talking with financial expert regarding the impact of this, not just the news, the coronavirus, and the impact on the global economy, but on your money, as we're joined once again by Pat Fatucci. Pat has been in the world of finance, retirement planning, and investing for well over 30 years. He hosts Don't Invest and Forget, heard Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. and Monday afternoons at 6 p.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. And uh, Pat, good to have you back on, um, sad under these circumstances. Uh, this this is really uncharted territory in a sense, isn't it? I mean, we've seen some scary times when there has been tremendous volatility related to some real financial crises in our country. But ironically, this is not a reaction to a financial crisis in our country. In fact, so many of the fundamentals continue to be strong, making a lot of people wonder, why is Wall Street reacting like this? Yeah, Craig, you're right. It's not a financial crisis. It's a biological crisis. And the Dow Jones down 10% in just the last several days, a 3,200-point drop, worse than in history. And, uh, of course, all the industries that you would suspect are suffering the most, airline travel stocks, Air Airbnb, that normally has 2 million guests per day, that number will come down significantly. Uber, Lyft, uh, in, in China, the, the light companies in China that service the, that market of Uber and Lyft, they've now installed a plastic film between the front seat of the driver and the backseat of of a of a uh, patron. So, lots of interesting uh, observations. Lots of interesting uh, uh, investment fallout from this biological problem. 
And certainly, and you've often said on your own program that um, it doesn't take just a ripple inside of fundamental related to performance of a major stock index or a market sector, things of that sort, to impact the economy. It could well be a geopolitical event. Now, certainly and historically, we've seen things like the 9-11 attacks on New York and the Pentagon that shuttered the markets. Uh, There have been other events down through the years that have certainly had at least momentary impacts, and while perhaps a drop of six, seven, eight hundred points intraday is not that rare to see the market settle down so significantly, and in this case, three, four, five days now in a row, and today marking the the biggest single point drop, not just of this current downtrend, but in history, has got to have a lot of people scratching their heads wondering, well, if there's a sense of panicking, should I be panicking too? What should the average investor be doing right now in lieu of what's happening as they're watching their, you know, <laughs> the, the, the good high of the conclusion of 2019, essentially watching all of those profits just disappear here over the course of less than a week? Yeah, you, you know, we've got to come to the uh, calm realization that the economy has not changed a bit. In fact, yesterday, it was reported residential sales were up 8%. In, in, in a normal, calm environment, the, the market would have would have loved that news and, and, and sky, uh, skyrocketed upwards. So we've got, to, we've got to be calm about this. Look, there's only 33 cases in the whole state of California. Not that I'm debating any one particular case. I mean, it, it's sad to have anybody come up with with this uh, COVID-19 um, uh, flu symptoms, but it is very limited. Um, in fact, in in uh, uh, most of China, they're all returning back to work. The only really problem city is Be- Beijing, which interestingly reported a spike in a uh, number of, of cases, but. For the balance of China, which uh, is obviously um, a lot of a lot of um, population there, life is pretty pretty much pretty much normal. So it's expected when we get to the end of this this uh, this uh, panic, if you will, we could see a V-shaped recovery. It could bounce screamingly back. And so, if you're not in need of money, if you're if you're if you're, if you're still working and and uh, your life hasn't changed much. You want to do nothing. In fact, if you have available cash, this may, in fact, be a buying time. I know it's difficult to even consider that, but when emotions are this high, this is when the, 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 the pragmatic people come in and uh, make, make some pretty good pretty good, significant gains. Now, there's sort of a double whammy here in the sense that people are watching the volatility on the market and the precipitous drop on all the indexes. That's nerve-wracking, along with all the reports concerning the coronavirus, um, the fact that we don't really understand how easily it's spread or by what means, and and we're finding now people that are spreading it before they've even presented with um, any symptoms. So there's some some sense of doubt that looms over all of that. And 
of course, we've seen these major numbers coming out of China, and we're worried about it happening here, too. So all of this seems to sort of play on uh, th- that sense of, of, of fear that people have normally when we talk about health issues that we don't understand, along with the reaction to Wall Street. And I'm wondering if all of this has pushed us into that market correction, which you so long have warned would eventually be coming, that the frothiness of Wall Street with a 11, almost shy of a 12-year high here. Uh, it, it's it's rare that we've ever seen, in fact, we have never seen, a 12-year-long uninterrupted bull market. Now, could this be the one event that interrupts it? And is there a degree to which a 10% market correction could be considered healthy? Yeah, we've often talked on your show about this 11-plus, almost 12-year, um, wonderful, uh, giant leap forward in, in the stock market. And we've often said some geopolitical event, which we don't see coming, and here we have this this um, uh, a, a corona, coronavirus kind of sneaking up on us, just as we had talked about, where the market gets spooked and it drops in a significant way. Again, the fundamentals of the world economy, especially the U.S. economy, continues to be very strong. But when you see airline stock uh, dropping 25% and, and any related industry that shows any kind of um, tangential issue re- related to being around people, movie theaters, restaurants, we're going to see a lot of that, 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 that kind of reaction that people are just not going to want to go out and be in crowds anymore for fear of somebody out there is carrying the virus and if you you shake hands or you you touch your face or you're uh, you know you're going to potentially uh come in contact with somebody that may be vulnerable enough especially the very young or the very old or if you've got some medical conditions some respiratory issues that make you more vulnerable than the average person you want to be absolutely cautious and perhaps not take that flight in fact just today, American Airlines and United are waiving any cancellation fees uh, to Europe or Italy or, or any part of uh, Asia. So they're trying to be as reasonable and understanding. And if you, you decide not to take that flight, they're, they're waiving any, any flights from now until March 11th. This uh, 10%, of course, moves us into a market correction territory. How far would we have to go before we would consider this shifting into a bear market? Yeah, I, I don't see this as a uh, long-range uh, bear market environment. It, 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 the numbers, are, especially in, in this country, the numbers are, are, are so wonderfully superlative. Interest rates are low. I don't think, I don't think the Federal Reserve has any ammunition to lower rates, maybe a quarter point or so, just because of, of the world economy. But, um, well, look, if, if, this, if this disease it gets prolonged and gets some real traction, especially in this country, yes, I think it could, it could uh, turn this bullish market overnight into a bear market. But it would take a lot of cases to really influence uh, the, economy, the, the kind of robust economy we have. 
to turn it into a bear market. And what we're seeing right now, Pat, largely is more reactive, isn't it? In other words, the markets are looking at things and saying, well, there's doubt here, there's questions over there, and so as a result, we are going to react to the uncertainty and take some of the scared money out of the market. This is not reacting to hardcore numbers quite yet. No, that's right. And so we'll see um, what the sustainability of this of this disease is. We're hope, all hoping and praying that uh, it, 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 it comes to an end. And, you know, summer is, uh, spring is, uh, what, 45 days away or so? So this, the flu season will be ending. Uh, it certainly can't end soon enough for, for all of us concerned. But um, it, it is more of a winter kind of, of an issue. Um, and we'll see if, uh, if this thing has legs and goes in. If it starts going into the spring and summer, then we've got some, some prolonged reaction, and I think it, uh, this bull market will come to a screeching halt. Pat Vitucci, don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don't invest and forget. He, of course, is the principal of Vitucci and Associates, offices all over the San Francisco Bay region. He's been in the world of finance, retirement planning, and investing for more than 30 years. Uh, lending a little bit of a calm voice here today to uh, much of the, the paranoia that we've seen, and I think that's probably a good choice of words. There has been some paranoia related to all of this. That isn't that we shouldn't take the threat of this virus serious that we shouldn't take reasonable precautions. But I think the watchword here is reasonable. What is a reasonable reaction? Particularly if you are on the cusp of retirement and you're hearing today that, my goodness, um, the, the indexes over the course of the last few days collectively down um, 10%. So does that mean that you need to take some sort of action if you're about to retire in the next uh, month or two? Let's find out. We'll do that around the corner. Our conversation with Pat Vitucci continues right after an update on traffic. All right, 517. Let's step aside for a moment, get to look at the ride home for you this Thursday from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We continue our visit with Pat Fitucci of DontInvestAndForget.com. We are talking about the impact on the markets of the coronavirus. Pat, earlier today, Bank of America cut its world growth forecast. It's the lowest level now since the financial crisis of 2009, stating in their press release they've cut the 2020 global forecast to 2.8%, down from 3.2%. And uh, this, of course, being the first time that we've seen this um, under 3% since 2009, a lot of this, of course, um, is sort of following in lockstep with a readjustment of the forecast related to China, where they're expecting to see a significant slowing in growth there. Obviously so. If you're shutting down cities, you're shutting down factories. And so it goes without saying. I'm wondering, when we see those kinds of forecasts and we're looking at the reaction of the markets over the last several days with the significant uh, downturn of um, collectively over the last three days, some 10 percent, folks that are right on the cusp of retirement, I I, I suspect if they haven't already made an adjustment, um, they're they're probably going to be hurting a little bit. Yeah, 10 percent reduction in their their 401k certainly hurts and, and all the planning that they've perhaps done uh, can either postpone retirement date or scale back their lifestyle or 
move to a, a lesser cost part of the of the state or of of the country. There are ways of protecting your principal. There are a number of products out there that that are are kind of Teflon coated to to the market, and um, those are becoming more and more popular as people are approaching retirement and. Concern about the sustainability of that income stream is vitally important. Clearly, you don't want to quit your, your high-paying job and, and have to resort to becoming an Uber driver or a Home, home Depot. But if you want to do that, that's great. And that's wonderful. But being forced to do it, that's a whole, whole other issue. So you've got to be careful when you're about to retire with this volatile world market we're in, and certainly the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, is... Uh, indicative of the kind of thing that seemingly looks harmless, but all of a sudden, almost overnight, uh, it has a big impact on your retirement plan. So, again, there's ways of protecting that principle, protecting that income, guaranteeing the income, and um, we certainly be willing to talk to your listeners about that. In fact, we've got a couple seminars in uh, Newark, uh, March 3rd and March 5th, if any of your listeners are interested we're going to go over things like that because specifically about the coronavirus and what it what it what the ramifications of your savings has on your your lifestyle. And and to be sure, um, you know, gathering information and better understanding not only how to respond from an investment standpoint to events of this sort, but also to understand, I guess we'll call them the seasons of, of life as it relates to the accumulation phase where most of us sit when we're working and accumulating money and putting it aside in an IRA, 401k, things of that sort. And then when you when you move that shift upon retirement into the distribution phase where you start drawing down from those monies, the strategy in terms of your your risk levels needs to change pretty drastically, doesn't it? Yeah, you, you tend to certainly get a lot more conservative in, in a retirement. You don't want to uh, you know, continue on that roller coaster ride. You, and, you know, as we get older, just a just a mere thought of a roller coaster ride uh, kind of upsets our stomach. Well, it can do the same thing when you see your your principal diving in the last couple, three or four days. So you want to have a, a lot more of a conservative portfolio design. Your money personality changes. You you tend to get a a little bit more protective, maybe a lot more protective. Of your of your assets because let's say you're not going to get that monthly deposit into your checking account anymore, i.e., your salary that stops and that could be pretty stressful. And you don't want to spend the first year or two watching your portfolio take nosedives and eating into your principal. Uh, it's a pretty unsettling when you see your 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 big number starting to decline. Uh, it will almost always drive you back to some kind of employment. And let's talk about what's happened to some individual stocks, Pat. Um, we've seen with the battering across the indexes over the last few days, both Dow, uh, both uh, Microsoft and Apple uh, losing more than 5%. Even worse so for Tesla, who's been kind of in this odd honeymoon period. We've seen this just uh, incredible spike in the value of Tesla shares over the last two, three months. They've seen a drop of more than 11% this after the stock had nearly doubled since the beginning of this year. Can we anticipate more tech companies that are reliant upon manufacturing coming out of China to be battered like this, at least for a season? 
Yeah, I think it's it's understandable if you look at the supply chain side of of, of our world economy. You know, currently Apple, uh, while they may not manufacture all, all the parts, they do um, create the final products. So all these shipments of all these goods and services goes into China. China builds the, the telephone, ships them to to uh, all parts of the world, and so when you see that kind of supply chain be impaired in a fairly dramatic way, think of any product, and let's face it, China's been uh, the darling of manufacturing for the last 20 plus years, and so we've got to understand that that will have a serious impact on almost any product that comes on one of those giant uh, uh, container ships into the Bay Area and other ports around around the country, we're going to see um, a serious stock price decline, understandably, because now the products that we've enjoyed. Just look at look at the uh, at, at face masks in this country. It, it's very difficult to get to buy a face mask today. A lot of them are are are, uh, are created in China and shipped here, and so. Uh, you walk into any CVS or Rite Aid or local store, and uh, almost guaranteed the shelves are, are empty. And so we're kind of dependent in a scary way on a healthy China, on a healthy Asia in general. And so in two cases in Japan and China, spiking as they have been, um, people are just not going to work. They're not, they're not going into the, into the factories to, to build and create all these great products that we, we kind of take take for granted. So we'll start to see the shelves more and more empty of any products that heretofore have come through those parts of the country. Ironically, the president ran on a campaign of wanting to bring manufacturing back into the United States. There have been incentives put in place to help accomplish that. But at the end of the day, we all recognize nobody put a gun at corporate America to chase it overseas. And so coercing them to bring manufacturing back stateside, you know, is, is, is a difficult challenge at best. Could an event like this and the realization of just how significantly the supply chain can be interrupted when there's so much reliance on overseas materials, uh, either the goodies that go in to make the widgets that we assemble here or the outright um, finished product, that this could motivate at least a percentile of manufacturing to come back here onshore? I think that's a a perfect example of what boards of directors are doing today is looking at the sources of, of their of their parts uh, or of their final product are coming from those parts of the world that are most most vulnerable. President Trump, to his credit, uh, has been looking at China and looking at, at the tariff issue, and I think the last 18 to 24 months, we have been looking at alternative uh Places to buy from, whether it's uh, Viet Vietnam or Japan or other other parts of Asia, given China's unfriendly tariff uh, situation with us. So this kind of started, uh, you know, 18 to 24 months ago, but I think it will be accelerated by and, and really put a big uh, uh, light on on the supply chain issue, which now has been seriously interrupted. 
Pat, you mentioned about the fact that you've got a couple of workshops coming up March the 3rd and March the 5th in Newark, and an ideal opportunity for people that are uh, nerve-wracked by all of this, don't really have a plan in place, um, are not using the services of a financial advisor and been kind of hoping for the best. And, and certainly, historically, in the last few years, it didn't take a lot of genius to make money on Wall Street. Now, of course, uh, we're seeing all of that changing and pretty significant, so that uh, go it on your own, do it by yourself, approach to this may not be the wisest way in which you can accumulate and manage your wealth for retirement. If folks want to get information about reserving a seat um, at either of those two events, what's the best thing to do? Yeah, we've got dinner on March 3rd, March 5th in Newark at the Fremont Hilton. Uh, Dinner served at 6.30, and then I'll share some of my thoughts specifically. Certainly a lot of questions and answer opportunity, and it's always interesting to hear other members of the audience bringing up their personal story, and it, 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 it becomes more of a, of a discussion. And so there's an opportunity to, to join us on March 3rd and March 5th. Simply call one plan wise or go to our website, don'tinvestandforget.com, and they can sign up via, via website or telephone call one triple eight plan wise. And of course, the events are free and open to the public and no obligation. Triple eight plan wise, 888 888- P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E, or as Pat mentioned online at don'tinvestandforget.com. Pat Fatucci, I always appreciate you taking some time to be with us and educate us. Uh, Trying times, uh, challenging times to be sure, but uh, if we all stay the course, we'll all get through this collectively. Pat Fatucci from don'tinvestandforget.com. 5.32 from KFAX, an update now on traffic from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You're familiar with that little sleepy section just about halfway between Los Angeles and San Diego called San Clemente. I think of it uh, just nearby a beautiful historic Dana Point. There you have some of California's um, beautiful, beautiful white sun-kissed beaches. Of course, the famous San Clemente Pier. And who could forget... The retirement destination of Richard Nixon when he left office in 1973 and uh, kind of the image of him going along the beach wearing uh, beach shorts and his uh, metal detector looking for, you know, buried treasure along the San Clemente coastline. Kind of a sleepy town, but who would imagine that out of those settings would come a movement to help call worldwide attention to what's going on in modern day slavery? And when you hear that, you say, oh, Craig, poor Craig. Here, as we've just recently marked President's birthday, Lincoln and Washington here in February, we ought to be thinking of the fact that Lincoln helped abolish slavery back in the 1860s. Well, there were a lot of important strides toward the abolishment of slavery in America at that time. But truth be told, truth be told, that action... 150-plus years ago, did nothing to abolish slavery permanently. It still exists in many pockets here in America. It still exists to tremendous and shockingly degrees all around the world, as my next guest found out. And it led her to get involved 
in encouraging women everywhere to stand up and to essentially be a voice for those that have no voice. Kimberly McOwen-Yem joins us today. She has co-authored a new book called Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern-Day Slavery. And Kim, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, when I say the the end of slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation signed into law by President Lincoln back in the 1860s, that, that ended slavery of sorts and to a degree in fashion. But the reality is, in 2013, not only does slavery still exist, but in fact it's flourishing in many parts of the world. Yes, that is correct. And I, four years ago, I would have thought, as far as I knew, slavery was abolished. My understanding of slavery uh, was about the same level as my eight-year-old daughter at that time, and I thought it ended with the Emancipation Proclamation and found myself stunned to learn that there is an estimated number of over 27 million slaves in our world today and that 80% of those are women and children. We've seen focus in recent times on the issue of human trafficking, and particularly slavery as it relates to sex trades. We know certainly that there's so-called sex tourism into places like Thailand and and whatnot, but I think a lot of folks are are completely ignorant of the fact that not only does it take place in third world countries, but a lot of that slavery is exported to the first world, meaning even America. Yes, and it's not always um, with uh, foreign women or girls or um, even men, but it's also um, with our with American children and women and men. And so we oftentimes think that it's over there and it's a problem not of our own. And what we're seeing um, is that it is. It is a problem here as well, and it is affecting even um, our suburb communities that we oftentimes take for granted our safe places. And so, yes. You're absolutely correct. Tell me a bit about how this first kind of came on your radar screen. You're you're busy. You're raising a family. You're there yeah. in this generally beautiful little, uh, uh, very um, idyllic uh, community called San Clemente. How all of a sudden does the topic of slavery and human trafficking get on your radar screen? That's a good question because it sure wasn't until uh, I. A friend of ours that we were that I was just doing a little bit of work with. I had just kind of gone um, back to work part time. Was working for my dad, and he invited us to see a film. It the 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 documentary Call and Response was just releasing, and he was involved in some of the marketing for the film and invited us to see the film. And so we went more as supportive friends, uh, kind of new colleagues, and. I completely underestimated what I was about to learn and the impact that it would have on me. Uh, It definitely caught me off guard. I kind of knew the subject was about human trafficking, but I don't think I really understood what human trafficking was. At the time, four years ago, I kind of associated with smuggling and um, just thought this would be just another interesting film. I had no idea the impact that it would have. And that's kind of how I first kind of woke up to... Uh, what was going around, around me. When we begin to consider the breadth and depth of the impact of this, many uh, parts of the world uh, where there are people being taken advantage of, 
people that are being lured into this, and I suppose a lot of the reasons are the same today as it was a century or two centuries ago, and that is a lot of it has to do with, with power and money. We're going to explore that aspect of this equation. Also talk about some of the unlikely trades and places where you find modern-day slavery taking place. And I think as much as Kimberly was shocked to discover that this was going on at all, let alone the breadth and depth of it, I am pretty much persuaded you might be too. If you've just joined the conversation, it's a bit of a delicate one to be sure, and there might be a an opportunity here if you have young ones with an earshot of the radio to maybe busy them elsewhere. Uh, we're dealing with one of those topics that we don't necessarily want to hear about but need to hear about as we uh, pull back the blinds, so to speak, and let in the light of day on the topic of modern-day slavery. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Kimberly McOwen-Yim as this edition of Lifeline continues. <laughs> And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to our conversation today with Kimberly McOwen-Yim. A look at the book, Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern-Day Slavery. And I had no doubt, uh, Kimberly, there are some eavesdropping on this conversation right now that would say, well, now, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're talking about a handful. I mean, certainly we're, we're compassionate about all of this, but we must be talking about slavery that's limited to the third world. It might occasionally be exported into uh, the West, but for the most part, a lot of this is concentrated in parts of the world we never see and know nothing about. Yeah, I I can see why that would be kind of the general uh, first assumption, but when you scratch the surface, it's happening um, all around us. And uh, actually, in your neck of the woods of Northern California, there's actually a, probably a really strong presence of anti-trafficking coalitions that's going on. Actually, the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition is just around the corner from you guys, and um, there's a lot of different um, organizations doing amazing stuff in your area, both in your local area as well as um, addressing needs globally. But yeah, we people on the front lines of anti-trafficking fight um, have been seeing forms of slavery from uh, massage parlors to nail salons to agricultural work to domestic, domestic slaves um, through uh, uh, nannies and cleaning services, um, construction. I mean, there's, it's, there's been documented cases of trafficking in all those uh, regions, of all those different different um, uh, different groupings uh, here in the United States, let alone some of the um, big kind of global issues that are happening as well in some of those same things. So um, commercial sexual exploitation is a, a huge problem and concern, and this is happening in everyday towns. And this is happening, I think we need to be clear about this, as, as much as we typically think of this either in the historical context of, 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 of chattel or, or possessive type slavery, but there's a number of different categories, whether we're talking about forced labor, child labor, uh, debt bondage, whatever the case might be, and then it gets played out not just into the cases of sex trafficking that usually capture the headline news, but this is this is feeding into a lot of everyday 
industry. I mean, let's face right. it, this is more than just, uh, well, I, let me go back to it. This is probably the same issue that's driving this today as what drove it 100 years ago, 200 years ago, that's driven this topic since the beginning of mankind, and that is power and money. Yeah, and and yeah, the the bottom line profitability of it is what's driving it. Yeah, the economy of it. The difference is, though, that back when it was legal, um, you know, a smart business guy would have a variety of, you know, have many slaves, and they would be an investment. They would spend kind of the equivalent of $40,000 in today's economy. It would be an investment for uh, their business. Now, it's not translating. The value of a human being, a human life, has significantly decreased. And a slave can be purchased on average between 90 and $120. So that the people are becoming more of a commodity. Human beings are being bought and sold in that commodity level price range. They're not no longer seemed as an investment, but just a way to kind of get ahead, but not um, a real investment. So that's why they're um, disposable. I mean, Kevin Bales, in his book, wrote Disposable People. He talks about how he specifically highlights that point um, in his book. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the unfortunate part, but I think it's, uh, it's an important piece to kind of recognize that um, people are discarded. So uh, a, a woman who is bought and sold on uh, Backpage, on adult services section on Backpage, um, she is bought and sold commercially, and say she gets uh, a disease or an illness or becomes too difficult, she could be put out on the street. She can be disposed of. And those are going to be another young girl or young woman that's going to cycle back in. When we consider the fact that, for example, in the last several years, just along the U.S.-Mexico border, there have been six, 7,000 people that have lost their lives as part of the, the drug cartel violence, you begin to get the impression and clear understanding that life is cheap, life is worthless, and many of these people are being treated simply like commodities to be bought and sold and traded, used and then thrown out when they're no longer of any value. And the sad irony is your book really reveals this goes well beyond some of the more obvious aspects of, of quote-unquote, modern-day slavery in the sex trades. Uh, it, it touches every aspect of, of life, doesn't it? Yeah. I and uh, When I learned that... Um what was going on, part of the conflict, now uh, what's going on in the Congo is a complex issue, but part of what's going on is the fight over these um, mines where minerals are being mined, and those minerals end up in our cell phones, in our computers, in our laptops, in our MP3 players. And when I saw, so our economy is very complex. And so it's adding this to complexities that are going, rather than just certain tribal wars for certain lands, it's because these minerals are so precious that ends up in my phone. So inadvertently, I'm part of the problem. And so when I began to see that the, what, what I do with my time, what I'm doing with my resources, the, the things that I buy, those are not neutral. There is, they have a more global impact than I realize. Just because I don't acknowledge it or I did not understand it doesn't mean that I'm not a, a part of it. And so when I began to see that, I felt a great responsibility to understand it 
but then to see, to do the things that I can do that are within my power to make a difference. Now, I can't, Congo is a complex, I cannot go over there and create peace. There are some many amazing um, leaders in that country that are working on that. The local church and different NGOs and different uh, global leaders are involved in that. But what I can do that I found out is that I can begin to ask my electronic companies, what are you doing to monitor your supply chain? What are you doing to help remedy this? The ordinary person has tremendous power when they start asking those questions, asking for slave-free products. And there's platforms that are already existing so that the average consumer can go online and can begin to ask those questions. There's platforms such as Slavery Footprint. And Slavery Footprint is in your neck of the woods in Northern California. Their local their headquarters are. And that's a great platform to sign up on and start asking those questions, asking your companies, what are you doing to monitor your supply chains? And that, the, these are the kinds of things that I began to see. There's tools, there's platforms, there's people that are creating these accessible things. I just need to use them. And this is the part that I can do. This reaches into almost every aspect of life, uh, both in the third and the first world. Uh, we see evidence of human slavery taking place not just again in the sex trade, which is where it tends to capture a lot of the headline stories, right. but the agricultural business. You mentioned about mining and manufacturing. We even see it in retail and domestics, which, uh, you know, a, a lot of folks, I think, are not aware of the fact that, for example, there are people that get smuggled into countries by coyotes that pay tens of thousands of dollars or obligate themselves to pay tens of thousands of dollars in order to be pulled out of horrific circumstances in a third world nation into, say, a country like the United States. And then once they arrive here, they're not cut loose to fend for themselves. They suddenly find now that they have an obligation to a coyote of ten grand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars And now they're stuck working for years in a domestic trade or maybe even working in a retail business. We see it going on in the flower industry, in aspects of manufacturing, agriculture. I mean, it, the list of places where this reaches its ugly tentacles into Kimberly is shocking. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm, I appreciate your, your, the, the knowledge that you do have because it's amazing to me how many there's very, you're very fortunate. I'm lucky to be on the show when you know um, as much as you do because that is absolutely correct. I mean, I think there, I thought that there are people that came to the country legally or illegally um, and, you know, you have, might have one thought about immigration, but once you're here to be additionally exploited, because you wanted a better life for your family is, is a shame. It's horrible. I mean, I, I think that to, to, to risk your life and spend, even if you're spending money to get here, and then once you're here, you're additionally exploited. Because what, what human trafficking is, is an additional exploitation on the most vulnerable in our world. Well, say, for example, we see people that are working in the garment industry. Uh, a lot of this goes on, most notably in places like New York City, where they're yeah. bringing in seamstresses to work from countries like uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, China. They're smuggled in from overseas, oftentimes in very deplorable, inhumane circumstances. A lot of the big blue shipping containers that you see out at the Port of Oakland, a fair number yeah. of them have humans that are hidden in there that are 
given uh, paltry amounts of water and and uh, and food to last eight, ten, twelve day trip across the ocean uh, into uh, into the port, and then they get pulled into, smuggled into the garment district, and they're told you're going to have to work for X number of years in order to yeah. pay off the cost of your trip. And by the way, if you try to escape or don't do a, a good job, uh, we have contacts, and they too back in the home country, and they say right. if you don't do what we want you to do, uh, we're going to kill your parents, or maybe you have a child at home. Sometimes there's splitting up, or maybe a husband comes to get away and, and be able to hopefully send money back home. And so now, now they are threatening the lives of your loved ones back home, and you're right. well, so well beyond the reach of the law because they say now if you try to turn us into the police, they'll just deport you. Right, right. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, the question, what do we do? Right? I mean, what... What can we do? Let's save that point because I don't want to interrupt you. We're going to take a time out. We're going to come back and address that very important question. It comes down to, I guess, two questions we're going to have Kimberly address for us. Number one, why should it matter to us, particularly as Christians? All right, I'm, I'm heart sick to hear that women and children are being exploited in sex trade, agriculture business, mining, manufacturing, domestic, retail, all that. You know, at the end of the day, why does this really matter to me? And then, if we do conclude that it should matter, what do we do about it? We'll come back to that part of the equation, our conversation with Kimberly McOwen-Yim. The book, Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern-Day Slavery. <laughs> 